You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Well, good morning, family. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. My name is Chaz Danteno, along with my wife, Olivia. We lead the college ministry here in the West Side. That's a lot of them right there making some noise. And this morning, we're going to be talking about a little bit of a different topic. This is not actually what we're going to be talking about, but this month, I'm going to be celebrating my 10th year as a Christian, which kind of blows my mind a little bit. I remember, you know, the day that I got baptized and made a decision to make Jesus Lord, and I remember everything about that day. And at the same time, it feels like as much as it was yesterday, it was forever ago. And the idea that it was 10 years ago now, you know, it's kind of blowing my mind. But I started to think about, you know, the, kind of the older you get as a Christian, you, you start to compile lists of questions that you want to ask God when you get into heaven. You know, and these lists kind of become more extravagant as you get older. You know, what did the Garden of Eden look like? Like, I wonder that, you know, what, what is there anywhere on earth that, that kind of resembles the Garden of Eden? You know, what happened to the ark? I don't know about you guys, I've met a lot of atheists, and and randomly, their one kind of sticking point is, where's the ark? We don't got it. It was, you know, it's a big boat, but no one ever found it. And so I kind of want to ask God, you know, God, where, where, where was the ark? Like, where is that? Is that wood still somewhere on earth, or did it just disintegrate? Like, what happened there? You know, is Pluto a planet or not? I grew up and it was a planet, you know, and like two years ago, they just decided they're like, yeah, it's not a planet anymore. Like that goes against like 18, 20 years of of how I was raised. Pluto was a planet. It was the smallest one. Uh, And lastly, what were the dinosaurs? You know what I'm saying? Was that like a fun, like little coffee break, like somewhere during the seven days? Like, you know, you just kind of wanted to have a little, have a little me time. And so, you, you know, you made the dinosaurs. And is that why every little boy growing up is obsessed with dinosaurs? You know, because there's, there, you had that little me time somewhere along the way. You know, we come up with these funny questions. And, and I think for, for all of us, you know, we've got things like that. You're reading your Bible and you go, oh, man, that's going to be really cool to see in heaven one day when I get to ask God. But I think in all seriousness, there are a lot of great questions out there. You know, some of them really motivate us and drive us to find the truth. I think some questions on the opposite end of the spectrum can be a great stumbling block to many of us. You know, we start to question God or we start to question ourselves or, you know, these different things. And a question that I wanted to talk about today is even this idea, you know, why does God allow evil to be in the world? Like if God is so good, why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know about you. Again, I I hear that a lot. Like God can't be all good or he can't be all powerful because there's so much bad. And, you know, growing up, I I was a little bit of a pyro. I was, I loved playing with matches. And I wasn't like an, like scary, like an arsonist, like, you know, but I would melt my army soldiers and, you know, like little kids, they get a little lighter and, you know, someone gets blown up and then you you melt them a little bit, you know, and battle damage, like, you know, and so I would, I burned myself. My my mom hated it. You know, I would, campfires were the worst because I'm like throwing sticks in or throwing, you know, toys in and. I just, it was fun, but I burned myself like all the time. Like it was just, 
every other week it seemed I was burning my fingers or something. And, you know, with fire, the cool thing about fire is it's quantifiable, right? You can strike a match and it produces a quantifiable amount of heat, a quantifiable amount of light. You know, all, all of these things get produced from what fire is, right? There's, there's a production going on there. But cold is very much different, right? When you think about it, there are no, like, cold matches where you just strike it and it just, you know, freezes, The way that we deal with cold is cold is the absence of heat. And the way that even our refrigerators work or the way that cold things work is that we pull the heat out of objects. You know, we pull the heat out of the inside of the refrigerator and it makes it cold. That cold is the absence of heat. Even as we measure it, it's measured as an absence of heat. There's no heat. And as I I wrestle with this question, I think all of us as Christians, we wrestle with this question. We see atrocities every day. You know, it seems like there's not a day that goes by that you don't turn on the news and some horrific thing is being committed by someone somewhere on this planet, especially lately. And you can begin to wonder, I think for us, we can begin to wonder at different times, God, if you are all powerful, if you are all good, Why are these bad things still happening? And I think as Christians, we've got to be able to recognize that in the same way that cold is the absence of heat, evil in a very real way is the absence of God. And that our world, you know, as these trends kind of in our generations continue to move forward of, you know, there's less God being talked about in family households. You know, more and more people are growing up completely irreligious. You know, there's more of a trend towards science, or there's a greater trend towards these other, you know, Kabbalistic religions, or these are greater, there's less and less God kind of in the world now. That the world, this incredible lack of God, is creating, in a sense, more evil. Because that's what it is. It's a lack of God. And I think kind of working with that, that's what we're going to be talking about today. The title of my lesson today, and if this clicker likes me, yes. The title of my lesson today is Without God. And what I wanted to do is I kind of wanted to examine just a few areas of our lives in the context of what would this be like without God? Kind of what happens in these areas of our lives when God is completely taken out of the picture? How do we need to respond as Christians? And what should this motivate us to do kind of as we move forward in this world that we live in? Amen? Amen. And so today I want to talk about the vision for your life, your relationships, and your future. And so my first point today is that godly vision equals hope. You know, the search for purpose and meaning is one of the most powerful motivations in life. You know, there are generations of people all over the world that are walking around kind of in this incredible search. You know, why am I here? What is the meaning of my life? What is my purpose? Was I, am I here for a reason? Is there something that I'm supposed to do? Or is it just complete accident and complete random and and it means nothing and I'm just out here existing? 
right? That this, this becomes kind of a question that drives us. And I think especially in college, for a lot of us, that's a place where you go to kind of find your purpose. And you kind of go to find, who am I? What do I really stand for? What do I really believe? What am I really about? And in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, right, the Bible talks about this came from God. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11, the Bible reads, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. You know, why do we, why are we so concerned about purpose and about meaning and about legacy? It's because God put that there. God put in us a desire to leave some kind of impact. And you can see this demonstrated kind of in every aspect of life. I think a microcosm of that, if we're talking about like a college experience, Every fraternity has some kind of philanthropy chair where they're trying to give back to the community. I mean, oftentimes, I think on the college ministry, we find more people who are interested in serving the community than we do who are interested in serving God. Like to get people to come and and to hand out food or to get people to come to build a house or you could do that like easily. I think because there's such a drive in us to make some kind of difference. You know, we wonder, what kind of mark am I going to leave behind on the world? How am I going to be remembered? What kind of legacy am I going to leave behind? You know, there are whole generations of our country that, that are these people that think about these, these dreams and these visions. You know, even in our presidential election right now, right? Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton both have a vision. They have a dream for what they want this nation to look like. Right? We are a nation, we are a world of dreamers. But sometimes we can get so caught up in this that, that we want to have these dreams and we want to have these visions on our own terms. And we want to see these things done, but we want to see them done for prosperity. Or we want to see them done because it makes us feel good. You know, when the dreams become our dreams and when the visions are our visions... backed by us, they're guaranteed to fail. Guaranteed. Because we're human. We're corruptible. We get discouraged. We lose heart. We lose sight of the goal. We lose the drive to keep pushing forward. We sell out. We find something better. We find something more entertaining. We find something more encouraging. We change our minds. We, right? we, we do all of these things on a daily basis. I don't know what you ate for breakfast this morning, but you probably thought about it a little bit. Probably waffled between a few different... You know what I'm saying? Like We get onto this place where when these dreams get driven by us, they're unreliable because we're human. And the dreams change. You know, there's a, there's a commercial series on right now, uh, Peyton on Sunday morning. You guys seen those? You know, it's about Peyton Manning, the football player, and Lionel Richie always opens up. It's Peyton on Sunday morning. You know what I'm saying? And, and Peyton, he's like, he's retired. And so it, it kind of goes through his life now being retired. But I don't know if you guys noticed, but the life that Peyton is living in these commercials, that was the American dream like 10 years ago. Right? That was the dream. You would want to retire like by the time you're 40 
and have been paid and, and earned like all of these millions. And now you just have millions and like 40 years of free time to go spend your millions and, and go do what to do. But these commercials, it's so funny because they're kind of making fun of Peyton. You know, he's sitting there. I love the, the one with Eli. He calls up his brother Eli. So Eli Manning, Peyton's brother, is also a football player. And he calls up Eli, and Eli's like in the locker room, like getting ready, you know, to go play football. He plays for the Giants. And he calls him up. Hey, man, you know I got DirecTV over here. And hey, come over and watch the game. And he's like, Peyton, I'm, I'm about to get on the field. I can't come over. He goes, oh, man. And he flips open like his calendar. You know, he flips over to Tuesday and he writes Eli's name on the entire day of Tuesday because he just he has nothing going on. It kind of makes fun of it's like, man, you were tired and now you're just like you're a chump like you have nothing. And I like that they play with him a little bit. But the reality is. Is that if Peyton's dream was to be a football player. The reality is, if that's kind of where he put all his security, and if that's where he put all of his identity, if that's where he put all those things, the reality is, is that now, without God, he has nothing. He's got 40 years of trying to find a hobby and trying to keep himself entertained while he waits to die. Go dream. You know, and we can look at, you know, we kind of laugh, and it is kind of funny, but in some ways, man, without God, even our dreams come to nothing or count for nothing. In Proverbs chapter 29, in verse 18, the Bible talks about where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. You know, in the new end, that's the 1984. In the new NIV, the, instead of the word vision, they say where there is no revelation. So where there's no vision, where there's no dream or drive or goal or focus that's coming from God, when that is completely absent in your life, he says people just cast off restraint. They don't hold back. There's no rules. There's no boundaries. They just go for Whatever it is. And the thing is, our dreams can sometimes, they can be great dreams. Right? That's not to say that we don't have amazing dreams. But that's kind of like saying we have great intentions. You guys know what they say about great intentions. You can have great intentions, but the, the way the, the popular saying goes is that the road to hell is paved with great intentions. Right, we can kind of look at some guys who had some great dreams and some great intentions. Hitler had a great dream and a great intention. Right, he wanted to strengthen his country. He wanted his country to be a global superpower and to be recognized, and for his people to have a pride in themselves and be able to stand up, respectable. That didn't go well. Right, Saddam Hussein, great dream, great intention. That didn't go well. As a result of mankind's dreams, I looked this up, kind of went for a, a number here. 
in the 20th century, so between 1900 and the year 2000, whether it was via war or some kind of atrocities or shootings or something, 203 million people died over that 100-year span as a result of somebody else's dream or somebody else's vision, no matter how justified they thought they were. 203 million people. When our dreams don't match up to God's dream, they don't go very well. And maybe you feel like, well, Chad, I'm not a genocide. I'm not a murderer. I'm not. Okay. Well, why don't we go to Acts chapter 5? In Acts chapter 5, in verse 33, this is Peter and John. They get pulled before the Sanhedrin for a second time because they were told not to preach about Jesus, but they kept preaching about Jesus. They didn't, they didn't listen too well. And so they're preaching. They get grabbed by the temple guards. They get brought in before the Sanhedrin, and they tell the guys, hey, we're going to listen to God and not you. And it says in verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody. About 400 men rallied to him. I mean, he was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing, remember? And after him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if, if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. This is powerful. On one hand, he completely throws... All of our great ideas and dreams and visions and, and all the ways that we can be so self-focused and want to do things our way. He totally throws them under the bus. He goes, all of that will fail. We've seen it time and time and time and time and time again. He goes, but if, if these men, if they have God's vision and God's dream, you better get out of the way. You better just... Call it a day and count your losses. He goes, because you will find these men unstoppable. Do we have God's dream today, church? Are we finding ourselves unstoppable with God? I don't know about you. That sounds amazing. The idea that, man, human origin only leads to failure, but God's vision only leads to complete and total victory. You know, it's not that God is just saying, oh, you've just got to be a good person. 
No, God has a specific purpose. He has a meaning for our lives that does not fail, that cannot be stopped, that can't be taken away. In 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse 9, In 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 9, the Bible says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Right? God has an amazing dream. His dream is that all men, all women, that everybody would come to a place where they would have this incredible relationship with God. They would come to a place where they're living this incredible life of repentance, where when they look forward in their future, what they're looking forward to is spending eternity with God. He goes, that's my dream. And there was no genocide. There was no crazy. In fact, there was only one casualty of that dream. And that was God. God didn't ask anyone else to step up in his place. He didn't ask anyone to lead the charge. He led the charge. And he was the sacrifice. And you might be thinking, well, Chaz, that, that's just not my dream, though. I mean, I love Jesus. I love the sacrifice. I love his story. I love his humility. I love what he did for me. But if you're telling me that I need to do that, that that needs to become my dream, that I have to become that humble or that I have to become that sacrificial or I have to become all these things, I I don't, that's not my dream. Well, then you can't be a Christian. I think at the end of the day, the dream is to be like Jesus. The dream is that we would lay down our own lives, that we would lay down our own dreams, and that we would become and have God's dream. And God doesn't say, oh, this is just on you. You've got to take care of this. In Ezekiel chapter 36, which is not the one on the screen right now, Ezekiel chapter 36 in verse 26. The Bible reads, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You go, Chaz, I am not there. Like, that is not where my heart is at. Going all in, being all of this to God. The great thing is, that doesn't have to be where you're at. God is saying, look, I'll give you a new heart. That's not your spirit? I'll give you a new spirit. That's not your attitude? That's okay. I'll give you a new attitude. And in fact, not only will I give you that, but I'll even give you, I'll move you. You don't even have to move. I will move you to follow me. All you've got to do is be willing. 
God is saying, do you want my eternal purpose for your life? Do you want a life of true impact and meaning? Or would you rather be Peyton on Sunday morning? Just hanging out, waiting for nothing. Guys, let's have God's purpose. Let's have God's dream. Let's not live a dream or a life without God. Let's let God be our dream and our purpose. Point number two. God equals love. Let's talk about our relationships a little bit. I just found this picture because I thought it was funny that the pig was hanging out with the dog. Right, but this idea that God equals love. You know, I looked up the definition of love, and it says, according to the dictionary, that love is an intense feeling of deep affection. The end. I don't know about you guys, I found that to be completely unsatisfying. I thought about love, and I'm like, I'm thinking about love, and I mean, you that's five words. An intense feeling of deep affection. Six words. And. Like six words to describe love in the dictionary. That is like complete, like I said, completely unsatisfying, right? I feel like when I think about love, when I think about love for my family, when I think about love for God, when I think about love for my friends, it goes so much deeper than just an intense feeling. I'm pretty sure you guys can relate. Yeah. And we can feel like, well, Chaz, okay, maybe the purpose. Okay. I can hear that. You're right. I'm not. When I think about my life and the legacy I'm going to live behind and, you know, when I die and a thousand years after I'm dead, people aren't going to remember me. Okay, you're granted. But on the love thing, I got that. Like, you don't have to worry about my loving. Like, I don't need God for love. But when you look at, like, the national divorce rate, the national divorce rate, so across the country, the average is 50%. So the average of everyone who gets divorced is one out of two. That's not good. In California, it's 60%. So it's actually where we live, you have a 10% higher chance. And if you live in Orange County, and I know we we have some people visiting from Orange County, I'm sorry. That's 72%. So when when you flip that, that means if you get married in the U.S., in California, and in Orange County you only have an 18% chance of surviving. 20% if you live anywhere else. So I'm not, I'm not going to pick on anyone from Orange County. I love Orange County. But you have 20%, you know, if you're, if you're everyone else, 30%. And so let, let me ask you guys, and you can just answer yes or no. Would you get into a car if I told you that you had an 18% chance of surviving on your drive to work? Okay. Would you eat like a yogurt from Ralph's? I I love yogurt. Would you eat a yogurt from Ralph's if you knew that you had a 72% chance of getting salmonella? No, right? I mean, bad yogurt by itself is like already the idea of that is like nasty. Thinking of like salmonella yogurt. It's like, here you go. That's even worse. Yeah, none of us would take those odds. And and the the reality is, let me, I'm going to, Go here with me. Those numbers are actually lower than the reality because nowadays just fewer people are getting married. So if everyone actually got married, 
like they should, instead of just living together forever, then that number would actually be much higher. It's just that the numbers are a little lower because people are just like skipping the system now. But we got love. We got that. We don't got that. I think without God, the reality is we just don't know how to love people. And, you, and we all experience it. There's always that one person that you're kind of like, you always have to be around. And it's just the most difficult person in your entire world to like try to get along with. Whether it's just bringing up a conversation or they just say things that always get on your nerves. And, and in the world, we don't worry about that. Because in the world, you just write that person off and you leave. But in the kingdom, God says, no, you, you've got to love that person. And so we can feel like, well, if there's no God, then I don't have to love those crazy people. But the reality is we don't know how to love to begin with. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, the Bible says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is Love. In a world without God, marriage means nothing. Family means nothing. Love is, we use the same word to describe love with our family as we do to describe how much you love yogurt. And I think... I mean, even for me, I grew up and my parents divorced when I was like four, something like that, like four years old. My sister had just been born. And so growing up, that was kind of the norm for me. Growing up and doing kind of the visitation tango, going to mom and then going to dad. And I didn't live with my dad in, in what would be considered a full-time capacity until I moved out and went to college. And the fact that we have to consider visitation with your mom or your dad as either part-time or full-time, I think kind of speaks to where our society's at. And I remember that thinking that that was just normal. Kind of thinking, oh, this is just the way it's supposed to go. And feeling just so intensely insecure when I was around my friends' families and their mom and dad was still together. Like, I just felt so insecure. I felt so little. Like something was wrong with me. And I remember when I got to college, it got to a point where even just considering kind of what my sister and I had gone through growing up and, and what that does to you. I think even if your parents are amazing and you get divorced, it's still the, the, the amount of damage that it does to kids, to anyone involved, uh, is, is tremendous. And I remember growing up and being, you know, high school and in college and kind of jumping back and forth between these different relationships and feeling like it never worked out. And, and I remember sitting there and questioning, man, am I ever going to find someone or am I kind of going to follow in the footsteps of my father? You know, am I going to divorce my wife? Am I going to walk away from our family someday like is that in me 
And I remember feeling very scared about that. And I went back and I, I tried to encourage myself a little bit. So I went back to our family tree and I started asking my mom and I started asking my dad, just kind of going back just because I thought, okay, it's got to be an anomaly. Like, I mean, because my mom and my dad got divorced and she has two sisters who had gotten divorced and my dad has a sister and she had gotten divorced twice. And so I thought, okay, this is just my, there's just crazy. Like my family is just, there's a craziness there. I can accept that. Like, let, let me just check. And I went and I looked and, and as far back as five generations on both sides of my family, nobody had ever had a successful marriage. And I felt in that moment, real hopelessness. I felt, man, there's no way that I am going to be able, like this is, it's in me. Whatever the, you know, and I'm not trying to be extra scientific, but more just think whatever this sin was that divides these families, that causes unfaithfulness or that causes whatever, this is in me. I've got it in me. And I remember coming to kind of a decision, like, I'm just never going to get married. I'm never going to have kids. Like, I, I want, in my own mind, I was like, I just want to be single because I would never want to put my kids through what I went through. And so I think it would probably be better just to never have kids and just be kind of alone. And I remember when I studied the Bible, Steve Stevenson, who was leading the, the church in Long Beach at the time, you know, he was, uh, we were getting to that kind of the end of the Bible studies. I was going to make some decisions about whether I wanted to become a man of God. And, and I was sitting there and I was talking to Steve and, and Steve was kind of, you know, what, what do you feel like is holding you back? And I was like, Steve, I, I, can I be a Christian and be single? You know, like, what do you mean? He goes, well, I, this is, you know, this is my family situation and the divorce and all these things. And, and I'm just, I'm a really afraid this is in me. And he looked me straight in the face and he said, of course it's in you. And it wasn't like I wanted to hear that. You know, it was, I'm already kind of feeling all these things. He's like, yeah, that's exactly who you'd be. I'm like, uh, okay. And he goes, that's exactly who you are without God. Like without God, that is exactly who you will be. And he looked at me and he said, but for the first time in probably the history of your family, someone has an opportunity to break the chain that's gone on for however long it's gone on in your family. Your kids might be the first kids that never have to go through what you went through. But only if you do this with God. And I remember at that moment, it was, it was a done deal. Like I said, okay, let's do this. I'm ready. Because I knew that he was, I knew he was right. I knew that without God... There is no hope for our families. That without God, as a society, there's no hope for our relationships. There's no hope for our marriages. Without God being the glue that holds these things together, God is love. And if you don't have God, then all you have is an intense feeling of, what, deep affection. However long that lasts. And I feel that about dessert sometimes. Intense feeling of deep affection. So, I mean, the reality is that doesn't work. You know, God calls us to a standard of love and sacrifice that the world can hardly comprehend. In Philippians chapter 2, in verse 1, 
as we bring it in for a close here. The Bible says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I'm going to skip ahead here a little bit. Oh. Never mind. Let's continue in Philippians chapter 2. I'm sorry about that. In Philippians chapter 2. No, you can go to the next one. There you go. I'm sorry, Michael. The, that one. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 6. It says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And as we go into our communion today, I want us to remember that a world without God the world that we live in is only becoming a darker and darker place. But because of God, because of living with God, because of grabbing on to God's dream, because of learning how to love through God and with God and because of God, as the world becomes darker, we get to shine brighter. And the difference between the kingdom and the world becomes just more and more apparent. And the only reason that we can do this is because of Jesus. The only reason that we can have this connection with God is because Jesus saw the worth. And again, didn't ask anyone to step up in his place, but led from the front lines. It says he humbled himself even to death on a cross. Let's learn to love like God. Let's learn to dream God's dreams. Amen? Let's pray. God, just thank you so much for who you are. That, God, you made us in your image. And that even as we are weak, and God, even as we are flawed in our characters and in our attitudes and in our hearts and in our minds, God, you are strong. And you are perfect. And God, you could give us that strength if we would just come to you. God, I'm so grateful for Jesus, for opening up the way for us. 
that we might be able to have a relationship with you, that we might be able to dream the things you dream. God, to be joyful about the things that make you joyful. God, to love and to be loved in the way that you love. And that, God, we have access to all of these things because your son loved us. God, I pray that that sacrifice would not be in vain, but that we would examine our own hearts this morning. Whatever is holding us back, whatever we feel like may have stuck us in a spot where we're just not growing, or we don't feel close to you, or there's something in between us and you, I pray that you would help us to be real and help us to be honest with the people in our lives that we might make a difference, that we might be close to you. I thank you so much for the sacrifice that you made. And I pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.